Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley, and today you'll be hearing an interview I did with the founder of Plastic Free July, Rebecca Prince Ruiz. She joined me online with a live audience who were able to make comments and to chat with us via messages, but they weren't able to be heard. So I read out their questions and comments throughout, as you'll hear. Rebecca is pretty amazing. She's had more than 30 years experience in the world of environmental and waste management, community engagement and sustainability behaviour change. So she has a unique perspective on the role of individuals on environmental issues, which we do delve into in this episode. She's participated in plastic pollution research expeditions in Australia, the Pacific, Atlantic and Indian Oceans, and she's explored innovative solutions to plastic waste worldwide during a Churchill Fellowship. She's also worked with communities, governments and business leaders on reducing single-use plastics and is on the board of the Western Australian Government's Container Deposit Scheme. Rebecca is now the Executive Director of the Plastic Free Foundation, which is a not-for-profit with the vision of a world without plastic waste that delivers the annual challenge of Plastic Free July. So Plastic Free July had pretty humble beginnings back in 2011 when Rebecca had the idea and simply asked people around her if they wanted to do it too. Now it's a global movement with an estimated 140 million people from 195 countries participating in 2022. So I wanted to talk to Rebecca because I've been looking at the theme of waste in all sorts of levels in this season. And Plastic Free July is truly a grassroots movement that has had a global impact. And so I was curious to hear about how it started and how it grew. She's also overflowing with stories of people making change at all levels of society and she's happy to delve into discussions about balancing personal responsibility with demanding action from the higher-ups, the corporations and the governments. So there was lots to talk about and we also had some great questions from the audience as well. So in this episode, I was speaking and recording on Jandak, which is country and home of the Jajawarang. They've been zero-waste ecosystem guardians and custodians of this land for countless generations, and they continue to lead the way and generously share their wisdom on how to live here better. I want to acknowledge traditional owners and First Nations people from here and wherever you're joining us from, and pay respects to them and their country. Salt. Grassroots. 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 Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots, Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. Back in 2018, <laughs> I actually did Plastic Free July in the very first season of Saltgrass with a couple of friends. Before the month started, we talked about, oh, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? What do you think you'll be able to achieve? And, and then at the end of the month, we rejoined and we talked about what actually was possible and how much we'd been able to do and what sort of things had been roadblocks for us in terms of trying to reduce our plastic consumption. And I think we had felt like it was going to be 100% no plastic at all in our lives if we were going to do Plastic Free July. (laughs) And I know that that's not necessarily what the ask is of the people who want to participate. Yeah, look, it's not really plastic free and it's not really July. 
So it's a challenge. It's not a competition. So it's really not about being perfect. It's about looking at the plastics in your life, the single-use plastics, and choosing one or two things to tackle. And as you said, it's hard to be perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But what we know is that if lots of people make small changes together, then that adds up to make a difference. And we can measure that through our research through waste avoidance and behaviour change But we also know that when lots of people are making changes at the same time, then that starts to put pressure on business and on government. So really, I think Plastic Free July is a little bit of an entry for many people into the bigger picture of sustainability and the other challenges. It's very visual, the plastic pollution problem. And this is a great way for people to start. And we say, Try it for a day, try it for a week, try it for the month, you know, choose one or two things. There's a really low barrier to entry of starting to take action on what is quite a complex problem. Yeah, it is. And I guess since 2011 when you first started this by simply asking your friends and family to have a go, the movement itself has grown tremendously. It's now worldwide. I really want to start with the story of you Rebecca and how it started for you and who were you what was your life before (laughs) before you started Plastic Free July? Oh a bit more in control. (laughs) So I was at the time working in local government I'd just gone back to working outside our family business after having my kids and I was working for a regional council that did waste and sustainability education but the, the council was set up on behalf of five local member councils in Perth to manage their waste and we operated a transfer station and one of the things we used to do is take local residents on the journey of their waste so we talk about throwing something away but where it is away and so we would take them to the transfer station and then do a tour of the landfill site and 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 I kind of knew what to expect when I was a kid I was forever having to go to the dump with my dad on the weekend but for me visiting a recycling facility was when something really changed for me and I think because I'd always felt really good about recycling if I filled up my bin I thought of myself as being quite sustainable but when I went to this facility and just saw the sheer volume of waste how much we're producing and started to understand some of the challenges around recycling, the fact the question isn't can it be recycled, it's will it be recycled, the challenges around plastics in particular and the fact that it's a it's a commodity market and we can collect and sort this material but if there's no market for it, it's going to end up in landfill and there's particular challenges with plastics that we know now but at the time I don't think was as widely understood. Back in 2011, single use wasn't even a term and plastic pollution wasn't on people's minds in our conversations as much as it is now. So I think it's fair to say I've always been somebody from my childhood who's come from a family of people who are, you know, my parents and my mum in particular was very concerned about the environment 
and we were always doing stuff in our community to make a difference and for me seeing this waste made me just realize this is a problem and when I went to put out my bin that night I realized I was part of that problem I didn't even think about others or changing the system it's just like right I just have to take personal responsibility Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. That's that's a constant question that comes up, I find, in sustainability in general and anything to do with climate is where is that line between my personal contribution to that, especially those of us living in affluent countries with so much resources that we consume all the time, and what's the responsibility of government and corporations and legislation to control these forces? And it's interesting what you said about it being a, it's basically a marketplace. So we can recycle and collect as much plastic as we like. And I've actually been to my local resource recovery place and I've seen it getting sorted. And even the stuff that does get pulled out of that stream to be recycled, there's so much that gets missed and that ends up in landfill. (laughs) And then the stuff that does get picked out and put into its appropriate categories gets compressed and sent off and I don't know where to. (laughs) And they only move it on if they have a buyer, as you said, who can actually recycle it. And I don't know if Western Australia's had this problem, but in Victoria, we were all very dutifully collecting our soft plastics and taking them to Woolies and Coles to get them recycled. And then a couple of years into doing that, we find that it's all just being stockpiled and there's massive warehouses full of our soft plastic that they're not actually doing anything with. So I think there is definitely eroding trust in, in what recycling can actually achieve And in terms of plastics, I know that plastics maybe don't even recycle very well. Like you can only recycle it once or twice. It's not like tin or glass that can get recycled many times. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I think that one of the challenges with plastics, and there are many, is that not all plastics are equal. So we have different types of plastics. So in that recycling symbol, the chasing arrows that's on a lot of our plastics and packaging there's a number in there and there's seven different types of plastics I think the seventh one is other and so one of the challenges with say with the soft plastics that's just what not one type of plastic or one polymer there's lots of different kinds of plastic and a lot of different kinds of additives and and chemicals and at the end of the day the collapse of the soft plastics recycling scheme came back essentially to those market forces or lack of market forces so plastic is so cheap to produce and it is easier and cheaper for manufacturers and producers to use virgin plastics than it is to use recycled content significantly so what happened in the case of the soft plastics was that different companies that were taking some of that plastic stopped using it for different reasons. There was a fire in one of those facilities. And at the end of the day, I think it was a really, I think it was a good scheme in that it showed us that people cared, people were prepared to take it back. But at the end of the day, there just wasn't really a market for what came out of the other end. But I'm I'm really excited that Victoria will be joining most other states except Tasmania in having a container deposit scheme later this year and the difference between having a container deposit scheme and something like the soft plastics is the 
container deposit scheme is paid for by the beverage industry. So you'll be making a 10 cent deposit on any eligible beverage containers that you buy and then you can return that container and get 10 cents or you can return it and donate that 10 cents to a charity or a community group. But the beverage industry isn't just paying that 10 cents on your behalf. They're paying 10 cents plus whatever it is, say 5 cents, for the cost of that container to be collected, transported and processed. So the cost of that scheme is born. It's a form of what we call extended producer responsibility. So that's where we need to head in this country and to start to tackle our waste. We need to require businesses that are making these products to be responsible for them, not just to the point of where they sell it and when wash their hands of responsibility, but across its entire life span or life cycle. We've got a comment from Malcolm, and I was going to save questions to the end, but it feels relevant for this moment in time. He's saying, why can't plastic be taxed in proportion to its lifestyle and environmental impact? Because the environment has value as well, but we just disregard that as if anything to do with the environment is free. Absolutely. That's a really great point, Malcolm. You know, there is a cost to plastic waste. There's a cost to plastic pollution, but that cost is borne by the environment. It's borne by the community efforts to clean it up. Which is often voluntary. Absolutely. And it's being borne by future generations and our health. Governments globally are currently negotiating global plastics treaty. And that is something that many NGOs and governments that have high ambitions for a legally binding treaty are saying is that we can't just focus on recycling here. We actually need to reduce plastic production and to make the producers and manufacturers responsible for this. And I think as long as landfill is the cheapest option, as long as the people making the litter aren't responsible for the litter, as as long as it's cheaper and easier for businesses to use virgin plastics, we'll never be able to turn this situation around. So the UK does have a plastics tax and I think it's something we, we need to be looking at too. How do you feel about the progress that's being made? I saw something just today on social media where someone was sounding excited about some of the progress that's being made towards this treaty. Do you feel like it's tangible, like it might actually happen? And are there countries that are going to hold out whenever there were agreements about climate emissions and trying to reach targets? Countries may sign on, but then, you know, Australia's been known for being doing dodgy accounting in terms of carbon. So what do you feel realistically it might mean to have a treaty like this? So realistically, what it needs in the first instance is it needs to be legally binding. And there's over 100 countries now that have indicated their support for that. There's some standouts in terms of countries that aren't. They just want to be voluntary, to have national plastics plans that are monitored and enforced at a local level. But there's a global problem. So really, to make a difference, it needs to be legally binding. Look, I think we've seen some progress when these discussions first started happening. We were talking about marine litter. We weren't talking about the full life cycle 
of plastics and we weren't talking about the circular economies. I think we've made great progress, like the fact that governments globally are discussing this. It's an ambitious timeline. Australia has signed up to, I don't know how many, if it's 50 or 70 countries now that are in a high ambition coalition that are demanding a strong global plastics treaty. So I think there's a lot to be hopeful for. At the same time, acknowledging the enormous power of the petrochemical industry in this issue and concerns that the countries that are producing a lot of the plastics are also the countries that don't have such high ambitions for the treaty. Yeah, (laughs) funnily enough. (laughs) It's really encouraging to see this sort of movement happen, but it takes people like you and people like hundreds of thousands of people around the world advocating and lobbying and taking action for a really long time. Like you've been doing this for 12 years with Plastic Free July. So yeah, this balance between the corporate responsibility and the personal, I mean, can I ask a question? (laughs) Do you feel like you have mostly eradicated plastic from your consumption habits or are there still things that, you know, because I was talking to someone about this the other day and it's almost impossible to not have plastic in some capacity in your life. It's just so everywhere. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. I am not plastic free. I think we've probably in our house reduced 60% of our plastics, 70% maybe, depends who's living at home and how busy we get probably. It's an interesting challenge in that I think it's not either or. I think as individuals and as citizens and as consumers, we need to take responsibility. I think business needs to take responsibility and I think governments need to legislate. They all need to happen, but what I've seen, Ali, over the last 12 years is that we're not going to see change from business and government unless citizens change. When I see change happen, when I see plastic bags being banned or straws or container deposit schemes being introduced, it's come from a groundswell of community concern, of community action, of people making boomerang bags, of local stores or farmers markets and IGAs banning plastic bags and giving people their own boxes or local governments, some successfully, some unsuccessfully, trying to ban plastic bags. Then supermarkets will say we're banning lightweight bags and then governments will legislate. Like that's how I see change happening. You know, governments are last, but we need governments to act because there has to be a level playing field and everyone needs to be involved. Also, I think this is something I feel really strongly about, right? Look, there's no doubt there's a role for activism and calling the polluters to account but I'm more comfortable in making change and what I see being really important is that a lot of people making change at the same time which then puts pressure and I like I can't begin to describe the level of shift I've seen in corporate Australia on this issue and it is coming from their staff yeah great it is coming from parents coming to the workplace because they've heard about it from their kids and their kids are saying, well, you have to change. So I really think that that 
change needs to happen at all levels. But what I was going to say I felt so strongly about around the plastics issue is to me it's a bit of a Trojan horse to our bigger waste issues. Like I think food waste is a massive issue in this country that doesn't get the same attention as a plastics issue. At a moment in time where many people in our community that can't feed their families, we're throwing away 40% of all of the food that's produced in this country. And as a society, yes, we have relatively fantastic legislation and education and waste collection and management and processing systems, yet We're the second highest producers of single-use plastic waste in the world. And if you look at our environmental footprint, we know that globally we're using 1.8 worth of planet Earth's resources every year. In Australia, we'd need 4.5 planets if everyone lived like the average Australian. So to me, the plastics issue is a symbol of our wasteful attitude and our wasteful habits that goes so far beyond the plastics. For me, it's about unsustainable production and consumption. So what I don't want to see is we have a so-called single-use plastic coffee cup ban, so the paper cups that are lined with plastics and a plastic lid. So instead, we've got these compostable cups that are still going into bins We have no system to collect and process those. They're still made from plants, use resources to produce and transport. We have perfectly good options to bring our own cups or sit and dine in. I don't want to replace the 1.84 billion single-use coffee cups lined with plastic and plastic lids with 1.58 billion compostable cups. I just want to stop using single-use. I want to stop us being wasteful. I want to stop us throwing this food out buying clothes we wear once or never wear. I could talk about this for so long. (laughs) Yeah. So really Plastic Free July is like the first step into maybe thinking differently about all of your habits. Yep. And it's really interesting. A lot of people who do Plastic Free July say they feel healthier, happier and more connected with their community. And we actually measure that through our social research at a population level that people feel more connected and have a greater sense of well-being. And I think it's because it's just an opportunity to take a pause and think and take action which aligns with our values. So no one is okay with seeing plastic polluting our beaches and harming our wildlife. We don't feel good about that. And I think Plastic Free July just gives you an opportunity to take action that aligns with that. A lot of people start supporting local businesses or their farmers' markets or having a conversation with people at work or a plastic-free morning tea or making something from scratch rather than just buying something or taking five minutes to sit and enjoy the coffee. And I feel like, for me, the biggest benefit sometimes of trying to reduce my plastics is those benefits of connecting more with people and kind of living more aligned with my values, I think.
I found having done Plastic Free July, even if it was five years ago, there were some things that you just need to take a few minutes to figure out what the alternative is. And once you've figured it out, then that becomes the new habit. And if you did it every year and just choose one thing every year to reduce or get rid of or eliminate and just build a new habit, that's a lot of things <laughs> over time. And, and I'm sure you could do a lot better than one a year. <laughs> exactly. And we hear that a lot from people taking yeah. part. They might start with one item and then next year build up, create new habits, learn new skills, have more people around you join in, take it into your workplace or your kids' school. And it's really interesting when I wrote a book a couple of years ago and then we started to just go behind some of the stories and the headlines. I remember doing an interview with the head of sustainability from Air New Zealand and I'd seen the headline in the paper in July for Plastic Free July, Air New Zealand pledges to remove an additional 25 million pieces of single-use plastic that year. And when I interviewed them, I'm like, how did you even find out about Plastic Free July? And they said the first year two of our staff just did it and took part at home. They got a lot out of it. They felt good about seeing less waste in their bin, forming new habits. The next year they brought it into the workplace and it was the most successful employee engagement campaign that they'd ever done. And then the following year they did an audit of all of the plastics across their operations and supply chains. And that's obviously a really technical piece on an airline. You don't want to go replacing plastic water bottles with glass ones because your footprint just goes through the roof. I hear that time and time again. And I get really excited by now talking to corporates and working with that just because of the power that they have because of their purchasing And the way that they can, when they start to change their procurement, whether it's something like that airline example or a corporate that might have offices in every capital city in Australia that switches to having their tea no longer individually packaged or changing their cafes to being reusable only, you know, you start getting businesses that are making those changes and that starts to change supply chains. I find that really interesting, yeah. My favourite brand of tea still does individually foil-wrapped tea bags in some of their lines, but when they switch to a cardboard box with a paper insert sealed airtight thing with all their loose teas or their tea bags, I felt so good about that and I felt so much more proud of that brand, but I didn't actually contact them and say, hey, well done, I really appreciate it. And listening to you talk and thinking... Businesses get complaints all the time, but how often do they hear people saying, well done, I really appreciate that, and I wonder if I should actually write them a letter. (laughs) Yeah, and look, that's a way that we work. I mean, obviously the plastic waste and pollution issue is a problem, but rather than focusing on that, we focus on sharing ideas and sharing solutions and sharing stories of change and It's great every year to see brands making announcements on changes in their packaging, whether that's, you know, having loose leaf tea in a box with a pourable spout or, you know, removing plastic from a particular product. They're the stories, I think, that you're right, Ali, we do need to celebrate. And I remember, this is a few years ago now, when Target, they'd been very early in 
getting rid of plastic bags in their stores. And then a few years back, they had 50 people write in to complain and they reversed it, even though they'd had this decision for years. So then they reversed it. They started using plastic bags again. And then 3,000 people wrote in and said, but we were really happy about it. <laughs> so I think you've got a point about yeah. celebrating and thanking people for their change because, you know, it's not easy for businesses to make change. It, it, there's a cost in, in their time, in their research. It, it's, it's often more expensive. Yeah particularly for early adopters that don't always get it right. There's a lot of greenwashing out there. So I think the more that we can by voting with our dollar and our words to support people doing the right thing, the more we're going to see change happen. Yeah. I do have a few questions from people. One of them I feel like was talking to the point we were just talking about to maybe celebrate the business for doing what they do do, but understanding that they get a lot of flack if they don't. So someone gave the example of a sushi shop and how our local sushi shop has compostable takeaway containers and there's a soy sauce bottle on the counter that you can use instead of taking the little plastic fish. But they notice that still most of the people in the line will take a handful of plastic fish and not use the reusable stuff. But maybe understanding that change is slow. (laughs) Like you can't berate people in the line at the sushi shop, can you? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. So my local sushi shop, they have a self-serve. You can just put it in your own containers and they actually end up just getting rid of those fish and people just pour it in. But, yeah, it is a convenience that a lot of people just don't even think about, to be honest, and I think that's the beauty of Plastic Free July, to have a conversation with somebody that you see using a lot of plastic and, It's not that they don't care about the plastic pollution issue. They might just never have thought about it in that way. And it can be hard to be that person that nags or says, don't you know what you're doing? Whereas if you say, hey, you know, will you join me and do Plastic Free July? And it's about doing these one or two things. And hey, I've put a bottle of soya sauce in the fridge in the kitchen that you're welcome to use. That's how we find that it's easier to get people on board than pointing out the things that they're doing that we don't want them to do. (laughs) And I wonder if even encouraging that local business to put a Plastic Free July poster up so that the people, when they go to get those fish, go, oh, it's Plastic Free July, maybe try the soy sauce in the bottle. (laughs) And there's one, we've got a great story on our website of a cafe in North Bondi. It's a little hole in the wall cafe it's takeaway only she did one year for plastic free july no disposable cups for a week and was encouraging people she had a a library of op shop cups and it's she did it for a week and then the next july she said right we're going to try and get rid of them and she hasn't used a, a single use cup since at a really busy cafe and i think it's also that We don't have to start big, you know, starting small, just trying something and then supporting those businesses, sharing it on social media or saying, hey, this is so great what you're doing. Can we contact the local paper or radio station and get a story? And 
and celebrate them so that what they're doing is seen as progressive and hopefully attract more business to them. And create a kind of peer pressure for other businesses around them to take part and try and make changes as well. Dual Native asks, I'd like to know if we should be looking at phasing out certain kinds of plastic first, like what should be at the top of the list in terms of types of plastic or is it just a general problem? There's plastic items that are particularly problematic. In Australia, we have made a lot of progress in terms of plastic bags, for example, so we know that plastic bags are one of those items that do harm have a great impact on wildlife. I read a statistic the other day, something like 230 million of the world's poorest people are at increased risk of flooding due to plastic bags ending up in drains and blocking the water flow and causing flooding. So I think, you know, plastic bags are a particular one. So I think there's items like that. I think, you know, we now have plastic bag bans in every state. I would like lightweight plastic bag bands in every state. In Western Australia, where I live, they're now banned completely. You can't even get thicker plastic bag. I couldn't actually tell you the last time I saw a plastic bag. But I think globally, that's definitely an issue. And then I think things like cutlery and straws are problematic from a litter perspective. They're not the same volume. I think there are particular polymer types like polystyrene that are toxic and easily fragment and we have existing alternatives so I think there are some plastic types that certainly should go first and then I think the other critical thing is chemical additives I think we've heard a lot over recent years about microplastics and the concerns about microplastics for human health there's an emerging body of evidence around human health impacts from the chemicals there's something like over 10,000 chemicals that are commonly added to plastics a lot of them aren't labeled and a lot of them are known to be toxic so I think removing those harmful additives that are impacting human health at every stage of the life cycle from manufacture to use and then disposal, I think that we do need to tackle that as a matter of urgency. We also have Yimby Compost asking, that's our local community compost group, asking, and I think you may have answered this, how pressure on manufacturers can support individual action. And we've, we've talked about that balance between individual action and supporting companies and putting pressure on companies. You know, what I see now is that July has become this month for global action on the plastics issue. So we see NGOs, we see councils, we see community groups, we see increasingly corporates and brands. So I think the more that we take action together, that the more of a difference we're going to make on this. And absolutely agree that ultimately we can't change this problem through behaviour change alone. We actually need to change the system. Yimby has also asked where's the best place to put energy in terms of our collective action, aside from our consumer choices perhaps. I just see so many great organisations and great community groups and there's so much good stuff happening in Victoria. 
groups like Zero Waste Victoria or the BYO Containers Initiative came out of Victoria. I also see so much duplication of effort. I was talking to a community group recently in Tasmania and they were taking action on plastics and some of the local businesses were really frustrated by just buying all of this single-use packaging even though it was compostable and they wanted to move to a refill scheme and they're looking at investing a significant amount of funding into setting one up and when I had a conversation with them I was like oh here's a few other reuse schemes you should have a look at and we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I feel like the next month is so important on this issue. I'm not sure if you've discussed this with your community and your listeners before, Ali, but next month is the Series 3 of the ABC's War on Waste and I was at a briefing with the ABC last week and they they really want to empower and support grassroots change and so they've got a few different initiatives one is around cafes and encouraging a reuse on a Friday there's something around clothing waste around food waste I think invest your energy in finding and joining others joining a, a group finding out what's already out there on those issues that you care about and you won't be alone And I think the more that we do that together, we're greater than we are when we act alone. Absolutely, absolutely. Are there any examples from other countries that you think could inspire us here in Australia? Oh, my gosh, so many. How do you see Australia sitting in the world scene? Let's put put that out there. (laughs) Look, I think we're doing really well in terms of the community level, in terms of behaviour change. I've heard from a number of people who went to the US in the last year who just cannot believe the amount of single-use plastics. Once Victoria and Tassie come on board, we're going to have national plastic bag bans. We're going to have national container deposit legislation. That's massive. We've done a lot and we've still got a, a way to go. I think particularly around reuse and refill. I spent some time in New Zealand earlier in the year. You can go to the bottle shop and buy beer and take those bottles back to be refilled. In New Zealand, there's a lot of refill stores. A woman who has been doing Plastic Free July last year on the island of Palawan in in the Philippines and she works for a hotel group And these people fly into this island and she said they're in this beautiful, pristine marine ecosystem. They start talking about single-use plastics on the plane before people land. They get told to leave anything behind. They get given a reusable bag and a water bottle when they arrive. The toiletries are only given on demand. The liquid soaps are in bulk. Like She just listed off all of these things and I was like oh my gosh like can we write up this story because I want to share that with places in Australia so (laughs) I, I don't know Ali like I'm a glass half full person I get to hear great stories every day of changes that people are making and they inspire others to me that's where change starts yeah we're doing well and we can do more (laughs) Of course. Yeah, yes, definitely. 
No, that's so great. And we are coming up to the end of our hour very rapidly. So I think it's probably time to wind it up. We haven't had any new questions in the chat. So thanks so much, Rebecca. Really appreciate you coming and spending an hour talking to us and illuminating us to a bit more about Plastic Free July. I've put links and I can put more links, but Plastic Free July website is very easy to find and people can sign up to do Plastic Free July. And it's not an overwhelming task. You can choose your level. And I'm personally going to be doing it and I might do, I would encourage anyone who wants to do it to contact me and we could maybe do it together and just talk about it and have chats and share notes and things like that. And at the end of the month, maybe we can do a check-in and see how everyone went. That'd be great. But yes, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. And please share any stories from your communities about what you're doing. Always looking for good news stories. Will do. Thank you. Thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation with Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July. I have links in the episode notes if you'd like to find out more. I recommend jumping online to the Plastic Free July website. They have some really great resources there. I also have a link to Rebecca's book and some other short videos about plastic and recycling if you're interested in finding out more about all of that stuff. So all of that can be found in the episode notes on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. As I said in the conversation, I'll be doing Plastic Free July this year and I hope you'll think about joining me. I think the challenge I'm going to try and work out is cheese. How do I get my cheese plastic free? Last time when I did this back in season one with Mel and Rachel, I felt like my challenge was crackers, like savoury biscuits, because they're always wrapped in plastic, even if they're in a cardboard box, because that keeps them fresh. And I actually didn't solve it that month, but I have solved it subsequently. So I now have some excellent recipes and they're really easy and quick to bake and probably a lot healthier. And I can control what goes into the crackers (laughs) and I can adapt them so I can add flavors or subtract flavors as I see fit. So Plastic Free July five years ago helped me conquer the cracker problem. And this year I want to figure out cheese. If you want to chat with me about joining in with Plastic Free July and maybe letting me know what things you want to try and figure out how to go plastic free with, just send an email or have a chat on social media. I'm going to try and post a few things across the month and I'll let you know how I go at the other end of the month. Don't forget to get your saltgrass ethical t-shirts, hoodies and other gear at our shop. It's a tea mill product which is all organic cotton low impact production with fair trade so you can go to saltgrasspodcast.com and follow the merch link to have a look and there's lots of designs and a lot of them are taken from the episode art for those of you listening on the radio please note that you can listen to all episodes of saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app or at saltgrasspodcast.com and we have over 100 episodes now so there's lots to listen to you can follow us on all the socials and you can subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show this program was made possible with support from main fm and the community broadcasting foundation find out more at cbf.org.au my name is ali hanley thanks for listening salt 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 salt
Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.